Hello. Thank you for listening to the Women's Energy Council podcast, where we explore lessons and advice by some of the most senior female energy executives around the world, focusing on transformational leadership. I'm your host, Alexandra Schichmina. Today we're joined by Marta Hara, most recent president of ANCAP, Uruguayan National Energy Company. We will discuss the importance of curiosity in leadership, what is an eye for excellence, and emotional labor. So Marta, uh, very nice to have you with us. I'm very pleased to be here with you. Thank you. So you had an incredible career and been instrumental for a few companies. But let's start from the very beginning. Where did you grow up? Okay, I, I'm 56 now and I was born in Uruguay where I live now. You know, in the midst of a very traditional family, middle class family. The, the ethics there were all about work ethics and you know, get ready for life, a lot of investment in education. But when I was seven, my father was a journalist. We moved to Argentina. Uh, he started an international career. And that has been very defining of, of our own lives. We moved to Italy later. And then when I became my own master, I also moved to Germany as a student to, and with Shell. I joined Shell as a chemical engineer. I moved around also quite a bit, and I think that also shapes a little bit your mind, the way you see things, diversity in particular. So you mentioned diversity. Uh, can you expand a little bit on how that nomadic childhood has, what, what did that teach you? Okay, I guess the fact that you need to immerse yourself in different cultures, different ways of life, you start learning from very early on that uh, there's not just a single truth. Uh, people tell different stories as they see them through their own lenses. I think also in order to survive, basically, you need to keep this open mind and you need to engage in curiosity, trying to understand, learn about their histories, where they're coming from. And if I try to also think how this can impact more in your academic or, or professional life, I think you start developing, if you're curious enough and attentive enough, this, this eye for excellence, you know, trying to, you're always very against the, the, the usual wisdom of it's always been done like that because you know that's not true. So another way to define the term best practice, you know, you start looking for best practice as a matter of survival. Okay, that's a very interesting lesson. Was there a defining moment where you felt, you know, this is for me, that's where I'm, this is where I'm going to dedicate my life to? You know, I, I was a well-rounded student. I liked everything, basically. But somehow my father said, look, Marta, you, you're a good reader. You love the, a, a, a good read and philosophy and things like that, more general things. I'm sure you can cultivate those interests as an amateur. But it's much more difficult to do that in the scientific world, right? What we today call STEM. That, that term wasn't coined at the time, but I think he was quite a visionary. And so I, I, I said, okay, what can I study? And, and I wanted to go to an institute in Bariloche. I don't know if you've heard about Balseiro. It used to educate the, the, the guys that became the, and girls that became the 
nuclear engineers for, for the atomic plants in, in Argentina, but there was a lot of also research and things like that. But in order to get in, you had to study any science or engineering for the first four years, and then you, you could join. Well, that was plan A, but I met my husband and <laughs> I, I started to have other, other interests to balance. And you know what? I think uh, in retrospective, I realized that research wasn't for me. I, I'm more a person of action, of, of, you know, of actual projects in real life with impact in a shorter term. Of course, research does have impact and it's also real life. But I realized that the academic world wasn't that ma a match for me. And then also, as, as always in life, there's a, a matter of circumstances and, and luck. We visited as students in the last year of chemical engineering, which was what I ended up doing. The Shell refinery in Buenos Aires, I felt at home at once there. And I said, well, when there weren't that many options in Buenos Aires, I, I wasn't ready to move at that time with a young family. And, and so I applied for Shell when I was pregnant. They sent me home. They said, no way. <laughs> I tried again one year later and I started working there and I stayed with them for 20 years. Wow. Was Shell what you expected it to be and how did you balance it with the family commitments? Look, I think I, I'll always be very grateful for Shell. You know, I see it as a wonderful school in a very wide sense. I mean, from a technical perspective and but also I think I, I very much shared the values I, I was never in a position where I had to, you know, choose between my own ethics or the company ethics. And I think that I didn't realize at the time how important that was and how lucky I was. But I, I, I really got a lot of resources there. Uh, one of the things I got a, an incredible taste for and, and that I've carried with me, even when I left Shell, was this passion for lifelong learning. I went to top-notch courses and being surrounded by clever people, I think it pushes you forward. It, it takes the best out of you. So Shell was really a, a great company to, to work for. Uh, they offered me a job uh, after a few at the refinery. They offered me a job in London. That was quite a thing. Uh, my husband is an incredible guy, very open-minded. But this was uh, at the end of the 90s. It wasn't very normal, so to speak, to join your wife overseas and take a few sabbaticals. That was the, uh, the original idea. Uh, when my expat term was about to end, we were in the middle of the financial crisis of uh, 2001 in Argentina. And we decided... He would give up his uh, family business there and follow my path along the postings where, where Shell was, was placing me. Uh, so we moved to Venezuela, to Mexico. Well, I, I wouldn't be saying that balancing you know, motherhood with uh, being a very engaged professional, easy. It was not. And I'm still learning about it because many of the things that we were discussing about when we talked about gender, fairness, and, and equality, and so on, at that time, were pretty basic. And there's a lot more to peel in that arena, to dive into, into many aspects. And, and one of the things I realized that it was a lot in my own head, no? that things like, for instance, where are all the family passports? Who is supposed to know that? The mother, right? 
when is the the next doctor appointment due? Who is supposed to know that? It's it's always the mother. In in a way, this this effort to to be always present and and taking care of things it puts a lot of stress on 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 women. And I think we are we are nowadays much more aware of it and and talking about it and it helps a lot. Yeah, I think it's called uh, emotional labor. I've heard. Okay, I I didn't have that that terminology, but I, it it rings a bell for sure. So do you feel like this is something you had to overcome and and you know not be always that person? The point is things keep on going in your head, right? So many of the things I I said, okay, enough, I'm not doing this, or please take care of that, but it's not without guilt, and in a way that. It's not good for the dynamic. Whenever you feel guilty, you try to compensate. And whenever you feel guilty, you're not authentic. And I think as part of our journey into becoming better leaders and better persons, we, we discover all, the, all those things. But okay, I'm, I'm sharing them now because I think if I had maybe more role models, more guidance, more awareness around these subjects, uh, I could have dealt with them a lot better. Do you feel like you did have a role model that made you that you know, more curious, open-minded person? Uh, well, not from a gender perspective. So, yes, uh, people that were inclusive, that were uh, curious, that were intellectually honest, uh, for sure I had at home and, and also in, in my professional path. But, I mean, from a gender perspective, I didn't have a role model. There weren't many women at that time that you could look up and say, okay, they've juggled with all the, the duties and they're a balanced, happy person. There weren't that many. And, you know, all these stereotypes, all this, I don't know, this, this motherhood beliefs that what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, uh, we weren't even conscious about them. We were repeating them. And when I look these days at my own daughter, for instance, she's got rid of many of them from day one. That's amazing. So going back to the career, you're, you're a chemical engineer, you're, you're working at Shell, and then even further uh, back to Latin America from there, back to Uruguay and took you to Gasteago um, and to ANCAP. How did that progression happen? You know, after 20 years with Shell, I had made some savings. My children were through school already. My parents were becoming older, also my, my in-laws, and we had a few moves behind us, many moves, starts to, to feel heavy on you. You know, you, you spend five days somewhere, you start making friends. It was more of a, of a life decision to say, okay, I want to stop being a, a visitor, someone who sits on the fence and, and it's not really part of the, it's not entitled to, to join many of the discussions. Although I, I, I had some um, duties uh, in, in, in things like industry chambers, and I, I, I was telling myself, you know, I'm part of these incredible conversations that uh, eventually will shape the, the landscape of the industry in this country, places like Mexico, key times. I started asking myself, should I be doing this in my own place? Where is my own place? So we, we made this decision to move to Uruguay, something these days in the midst of the coronavirus crisis, I really, it's a decision I, I, I praise myself for. That's what we did. We, 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 we moved to Uruguay. Uruguay is a, a country with very 
prominent state-owned enterprises in the energy sector. So it was a mixture of, of also being able to, to join a community with a lot of commitment and engaging in public service. Right. And what is, so talking about uh, the proud moments, what do you feel is your proudest moment working in the industry in Uruguay? Okay, <laughs> that's a difficult question. Uh, ANCAP is a very diversified enterprise, more of a conglomerate uh, in a traditional sense. We have from cement, biofuels, and of course, the oil downstream. That's the, the core business here. I think one of the most moving moments, if you like, was the moment I, I had to say goodbye. Because at that time, you know, any anyone who wants to say something to you has an opportunity to do so, to give you honest feedback. There's nothing they can gain from it, basically. So it's a moment of truth. And, and I was overwhelmed. I think I, I, I managed to instill the sense of, of urgency to change. This industry, uh, we all know it's in, a, in its life cycle. It's fading away, the oil industry, basically. ANCAP has 80 years. My, my initial sort of perception was that it was a little bit self-serving, the, the culture. I hope there was some shift there in the sense of saying, look, uh, we need to really put sustainability at the heart of our way of doing business. So what is the value we are creating in the, in the short term, in the medium term, in the long term? And basically that means efficiency, big time, industry 4.0, to make sure we, we, we can obtain the cash flows we need for successfully managing this transition. And we started to talk very seriously about hydrogen. How can, be, how can ANCAP be a part of the transition and, and claim a role for itself? We weren't going to engage in energy generation, in electricity generation, because for that, there is a, a state-owned enterprise. It didn't make sense at all. There were some ideas around that uh, line of work, and I said, no, that's not the way we're going. And I think people started embracing transition, started embracing change uh, as something, you know, that there's no alternative. That, that's how the wheel moves forward. When, when I had to leave, it was just the moment we needed to start deploying a, a business continuity plan. And uh, it was amazing, really. It was amazing. So people were ready to focus on critical processes and keep things going as they should to, to start moving, working from home. And you need to realize this is a, a state-owned company uh, with, with the bureaucracies and rigidities you would expect. So I think it was a major step up. That's amazing. And it's, it, it must be, you must feel proud for being a catalyst for all the changes that happened there. Um, one of the reasons I really wanted to speak with you is there are only a handful of NOCs I can count on my fingers uh, that have seen a president, um, a female president, worldwide. There are 15% of women right now on the board of directors of the top 100 energy companies globally, and only 1% CEOs. So it's still a very dire situation in energy out of all the big industries is the furthest from that balance. So there seems to be this hurdle 
but we see a lot more these days middle management females in energy companies and a lot more in utilities and renewables but when it comes to going president level or ceo or board of directors there is this massive you know canyon between between this, that middle management and president do you feel is there that hurdle and you know what is it for that female progression between middle management to the president level it's a numbers game of course and the pipeline it's becoming fuller with with uh, talented women as you go up the ladder compared to 10 or 20 years ago in in my experience there is a matter of visibility of awareness i've always pushed and that is something i i took from from shell from the shell experience because i thought it worked instead of forcing quota to say okay we need so many women at, on the board you force yourself at least to include one woman in all the short lists of candidates for the top jobs and 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 that at least uh, breaks down the barrier of invisibility of of not looking hard enough where is this talented woman that we can give the opportunity to i've come across one paradigm i i hadn't read before which is called something like instead of the glass ceiling is the glass cliff i thought okay this rings a bell with me and it's that when there are very tough jobs risky jobs like the one that was offered to me at ancap sometimes it's those jobs those few jobs at the top level that get offered to women and the reason that was given for that was that women tend to have a weaker network that they can bounce this this proposal off that would advise them not to take it basically women have fewer opportunities and women are more responsive to crisis you know this instinct to you know to act as a as a hero as a mother to to care for difficult situations i read that a few months ago from colleague in spain that that has published a great book on on gender equality and in a way i said okay maybe that's what happened to me at ancap because mm -hmm. I, i i joined the company at the moment of a very uh, deep crisis when it had to be capitalized by the state with 600 million dollars which for uruguay is is a massive amount of money and and you know i would encourage women to definitely take take the risk and and show what they're worth right but does it also mean that they're put in much harder situations and they're much more likely to to fail because they're offered these very very challenging positions it's definitely unfair and it's a uh, as you say it doesn't help the success statistics but i'm not saying take an a risk that's not informed but one of the other things that that are probably true is that women are harder on themselves in terms of assessing if their abilities and and they try to be over uh, prepared for taking a job sometimes you just need to to get the courage and have the confidence that there are many things you will finish learning on the job right And do you do you personally feel it was ever harder for you to progress because you're a woman? Honestly, I haven't. And but that might be just my blind spot. You probably Not need really. that though. I I think so, honestly. Uh I think it's a little bit in my character that I'm like, a, you know, a truck driving through 
a highway and and I miss some of these things that uh, of course it's if, if I listen with awareness and if I pay a lot of attention of course I can find these micro discriminations that happen at workplaces at meetings and after work socials there might be all there it's just a matter that these things don't tend to 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 take a toll on me really a lot yeah but that is you know a flaw in my own personality if you like i also miss other signposts that i should be noticing because i'm not very sensitive to 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 certain things <laughs> right uh, well it's a benefit in this situation because as you mentioned earlier some of these things are in the mindset so it's in your own head definitely definitely i think we are our most severe judges as usual and uh, yeah and, and some comments you get maybe at your parents about how you raise your children or how much time you spend with them or how you treat your husband i mean all these things sometimes uh, expressed as jokes can be quite disturbing i think that more than at the workplace itself at least for me you know right I would like to come back to something very interesting you said in the very beginning around the eye for excellence. Can you expand a little bit on this? You know, what is the eye for excellence? What do you need to do to develop this eye for excellence? Uh, I think I will repeat something I said because I, I really think it's important. I mean, especially in, in well-established organizations, which are very common in the heavy industries in the oil industry there's this paradigm of you know we've done things this way I mean, there are some sacred cows there are things you don't question okay and that shuts down the possibility to bring in best practices from other industries from other places from other disciplines this as individuals as, as professionals we need to build up this confidence that that is it, it's it's just not true that uh, continuing things or that the past is an evidence for the success in the future. We, 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 we can try, and, and this is something that sometimes works in order to break down the resistance, like, okay, let's do a pilot. Let me pick an example to um, home office, right? Talking about home office in ANCAP was like heresy, right? <laughs> so there was this, yeah, there was this thing like, you know, we are public servants and in people's imaginations, we're all bureaucrats, we, we don't earn our salaries, we're here for nothing. And imagine it transcends that we are working from home. They will all say we're all napping, right? I, I think I wasn't terribly successful in, 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 in really pushing a, a, a big major move into home officing. But I pushed for some pilots. I pushed for providing people with connectivity. And not because I was just inspired, because I saw it working in, in the place I worked before. Yes, and I knew you can still manage your people. You know who's lazy and who's hardworking, you know who's clever, and, and, and you need to empower them. And I think now with this crisis where, where home officing has become a necessity from one day to the other, all these things helped a lot. People were basically one step from being able to do it and they managed to close that gap in no time. This thing of saying, okay, it, uh, I've seen it work somewhere else. Either you can explain me why here circumstances are so different or we need to aim 
for the best practice. You know, getting this gymnastics, building this confidence, not letting you, not, not letting other people shut your mouth because they, they, they are so convinced that the establishment is the best they can do. Yeah, and what you're saying is is very reasonable. Um, all you're trying to do is make things better. So, unless someone can explain why not, that is certainly seems to be the right way forward. There is always room for improvement, right? Common sense. Yeah. Yeah, it it really nicely uh, bridges to my last question, which is you mentioned the home office um, and remote working. We are in this very strange unprecedented times right now where we're hit by COVID-19 that most of us have never experienced anything like this in the past. It has a transformative effect on, on the world and how we live our lives and even the most basics of things like going shopping and exercising and working more than anything. And also there is an oil price uh, drop, again, unexpected to most. The, the shift in the energy right now seems to be most people feel the world is, will never be the same again. Do you, do you feel that way also? And what would you say is the one change you anticipate that will be longer term from, from this climate that we're in right now? This is a tough question, Alexandria, because chances are we can all put our vision of the future and... and, and it, it's hard to hit the right answer, but like in any crisis, we need to see what is it telling us because it exposes all those things that were there that we were even talking about, but we weren't taken seriously. And you were touching upon the oil price, for instance. Who could say there wasn't a structural scary oversupply of oil? We all knew that. And it takes one guy to uh, step out of line and say, "I'm produce. I'm, you know, I'm not keeping the agreement on uh, on market share and quotas, and I'm stepping out of OPEC plus, and and that's what happens. So, uh, and there were also many other signs along the way that I personally have been following this because these signs have been there for a long time, but now they're like getting closer one after the other, and in my mind it sort of hints at a tipping point and i'm talking about the risk perception around fossil industries last year in particular around september i think it was came together the the activism of the young uh, greta thunberg there was this um this alliance for of asset managers driven by uh, many people like for instance the ceo of the insurance company allianz there, then there was the, the letter of BlackRock CEO. I don't know if you know of all these things I'm mentioning, the, the, the principles for responsible banking. Uh, yeah, I'm aware of them. Yes. Oh, oh, okay, all these things are showing that we are starting to see some of the risks that we tended to underestimate. Why so? Because if we really factor them in, our business value crashes. And, and that scares a lot of us. And, and this crisis just, I believe, says it's exposed. Now you cannot ignore it anymore. And uh, if you think about developments like Baca Muerta, for instance, are they going to be stranded assets at the end of the day? 
Because if you start risking that, putting all the risk factors one on top of the other, it becomes a very tough uh, hurdle to overcome for investors. So I, I know a $20 oil is not arguably the, the best environment for the development of renewables. But I think that's a very short-term way to look at it. And if the whole economies, as we are looking at them, are so strained, that all the supply chains are slowed or blocked, it's a new world and it's, it's, it's a contraction of, of demand in all markets. So it will also drive the cost of renewable uh, development. And we need to see. I'm, I'm pretty confident that this situation, if at all, it will accelerate the energy transition. Right. It will call for enormous leadership to make sure the least damaging to people's wealth and communities that depend on on oil and gas production and and so forth. Yeah. So what you're saying is we we had all the signs. Now we are in this accelerated speed mode and it's slightly more crashing for those who were not prepared. Exactly. I think I think that is what what's happening, and there will be winners, there will be losers, but we need to all work together to make sure that this crisis ends up leaving the world in in, in a better place. I think there's also a lot to be learned in terms of uh, of cooperation at all levels, from personal level up to state level. I think nationalism, the disregard for scientific evidences, all these uh, moods need to swing back to, to a world where we listen to scientists, we, uh, we act as responsible leaders, and we realize that many of the big, big challenges we face as humanity can only be solved if, if there's also a cooperation at state level. Absolutely. Uh, the last question I was asking is uh, your favorite book that professionally made the biggest impact on you? i give you two tips. One I read many years ago, and it's like I've made hundreds of negotiation courses. But for me, it boils down to something very basic, which is captured in a book called Co-Opetition, like a mixture of cooperation and competition, Co-Opetition. And then one I've been revisiting lately, especially because of this crisis situation, the 15, this is a, a newer thing, it's the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. It's a group of people in California that have a, the um, conscious leadership group. I think it's very, very useful really as leaders to try to shift the discussion out of drama and more, and more into presence and how to flow with, with the, the reality. And I think in this, these times of the new normal, in inverted commas, I think it's, it's very handy. Thank you, Marta. Uh, I feel like there will be two more books in my shopping basket by the end of today. Uh, But thank you so much for your time. That was incredible. I hope our audience will enjoy it as well. And um, I hope to see you soon. I've I've enjoyed this conversation tremendously as well. And uh, I wish you all the best. Take a lot of care.